What is up? Welcome to episode number 364 of On the Corner, the official PitcherList.com podcast. I'm your host, Alex Fast, joined as always by the festive Nick Pollock. Nick, how you doing? What is happening? I actually do have Christmas lights and a mm. decorated living room and everything. Oh, that's very surprising. You didn't. My house looks like um, the little woods in Nightmare Before Christmas where there's the little portals because on one side there's like a Hanukkah section and on another side there's a Christmas section. So Zelda can choose which to uh, explore. And where does she day. crawl? And where does she? Yeah, exactly. That's how we determine what religion we're going to raise yeah, right. her. Is crawl. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. We got a lot of tinsel in the Hanukkah side, believe it or not, but right. a lot of lights, of course. But then fire. We lit the Hanukkah candles a couple nights ago and she was yeah. clapping up a storm. Yeah, she's like, follow the light. That's what they tell me. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's how we're talking about today. We're not talking about Nightmare Before Christmas. We're not talking about the holidays. We're talking about baseball, which is every day, not just baseball. the holidays. And we got a great topic today. It's a fun topic that Nick came up with. I think this is actually, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first time we've done this, right? No, we, we do this every fast. We've no, done, we this don't. Is the third year. This is the third year in a row we're doing this. We do this one? Yes. <laughs> ah, I don't think I've done this one. Before. I, I have think to I've... deal with everyone. Um, you do this one? I do this with you every year. No Guys, way. Prove we it. This, we have this 12 team. I, I have the I have the receipts. I'll send it to All you right. after this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we uh <laughs> we go through this mock draft with us with the pitchable staff. I, we finished them. You've listened to Dave Swan and Rick Graham in the across the past week. And now we reflect and say, look, these are 273 players, but we all know more than 273 players will be drafted across all the leagues that, that are you know, uh, starting in, in March. So we got to review the guys that were near misses. And yeah. I reached out to the rest of the staff who were some players that you were heavily considering. Um, since now looking at the board, who would you think of? And we have what, 20 names or so? We've got a good so, amount of names. And uh, as you said, we're, 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 we're getting out of our comfort zone a little bit as usual and, and talking about some hitters. There are even some relievers at the end, which is kind of fun. Got some oh, input boy. from Rick Graham, who's, uh, yeah. who, who's, who's a Go genius. Ahead. And there's some there's some caveats. Well, I'll have you deliver the caveats. When were these mock drafts started? Because that's the biggest asterisk. Yeah, these were uh, in early to mid October. Yeah. And as I go through with all of them, these are 23 rounds Yahoo standard five by five head to head categories. Two players, uh, Otani. Only three outfielders. So generally, outfielders get pushed down a little because you don't really need to chase your third outfield that kind of stuff. Um, not too many are taken, um, but uh, yeah, it's starting pitching. You don't really need get so many in nine pitching spots. That's it. Um, a 12 teamer again. So it's not the deepest pool, which means that there are a lot of these guys, especially in your 15 teamers. They are certainly going to be drafted. Yeah, um, but we have some interesting names here that we definitely want to talk about. We definitely have some interesting names for sure, too. And you kind of, you know, just to elaborate even a little bit more, what? No major signings. And uh, at the time of this draft. Right. So right. some of these guys have since been signed. You know, playing time has changed a little bit. Also, some people have been posted on the international market. Um, and, and that kind of leads us into the very first person on this list, not drafted in in, uh, in the uh, original mock draft. And that's Kodai Sanga. Um, obviously, uh, here, let's do it. Let's do it like this. If he okay. had been, I don't, I don't know if he had been posted, and maybe there have just been rumors at the time. He certainly didn't have a job at this moment. Um, knowing what you know now, where would you have expected to see Kodaisenga go? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it makes sense with the Mets. The Mets were going to get somebody. We didn't know if it was going to be Koda, Kodaisenga or somebody else. You're saying in the mock draft now, duh. I'm being an idiot. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> I'm just so used to having that conversation about Kodai Senga. I'm like, where do you think he's sure. going to go? I'm like, right. Oh, man. Um, well, my assessment of Senga is he's the two-pitch pitcher with his second pitch being a splitter. And uh-huh. that's not my favorite thing to chase. There's only one pitcher in the majors that does that effectively, and that's uh, Kevin Gosman right now. There isn't another. Frankie Montas, he kind of needs that slider just as much as he needs the splitter. Cobb? Um, Mally, don't want to say Cobb. Yeah, I guess so, but not at an elite level that like I'm sure. like really thrilled about. You know, if if Kodai Singh becomes Alex Cobb, I don't. I mean, he won the 17th round of this one. That's not really something you mm-hmm. chase, right? And that's kind of where I expect to see Senga. I, I think we're going to be focusing a lot on his spring training. I'm certainly going to be excited to watch that one. Really understand, um, you know, differently seeing it inside of that stadium is is a little different than what we've seen so far with video. Um, But yeah, I'm not too excited about it. There are so many really good darts to throw on starting pitching, especially after the the 14th round or so. I mean, I see Reed Detmers here, Kenta Maeda, uh, Mackenzie Gorse, Sonny Gray. Justin Steele is an interesting one. Um, You have Aaron Ashby and Ronzi Contreras and so on and so forth. Kodai Senga doesn't elevate above those for me um, yeah it's it's the intrigue of not knowing what's in the box but i i don't think it's that great so let me throw out a few names and you let me know if uh Senga would be above this person some people who went in the draft and then we can maybe get a good sense of you know around what round so Senga or um mike soroka oh man spring is going to determine that one if soroka is actually in the rotation out of the gate 100 mike soroka Um, as of now, I think it's actually maybe a better choice to take Soroka because if he's not, then you kind of move on while Senga, you're still left waiting to figure out what's going to happen. Trevor Rogers. I'd rather take Trevor Rogers. Wow. Interesting. Tarek Skubal. Oh, Skubal likely isn't healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, oh man, that's, that's kind of like Soroka. If Skubal's healthy, I'd take Skubal, right? If he's not. You know, at least I'll know to get rid of the same idea as Soroka. Okay. So, Tywin Walker? No. I'd rather have Senga. Yeah, Senga. Okay. So, really, talking about the round, the 20th round. For me, um, I'd probably... Mm, it's like a new shiny toy. Um, right. So, probably probably two two rounds earlier. The 18th wouldn't, wouldn't be crazy for me. Like, I would probably take him over Justin Steele... Um, yeah, McGill, McGill and Gray would be interesting. So maybe around the 17th, well, 18th round. McGill doesn't have a spot now, which is really annoying. Oh, that's true. I, I yeah. think I'm thinking that the Mets would not go so crazy. Of course, I should have thought better about it. But McGill doesn't have a starting spot as of now. And then there's also the competition more so than I expected with David Peterson, apparently. So he's like the sixth or even seven. So I very much regret that 17th round pick at the moment. But yeah, okay. I, mean, I could be I could be underrating the uh the unknown ceiling of Senga at this point. Um I, I, I prefer to have a grasp of understanding what their success is and what isn't. Yeah. And Kodai Senga, I just don't really know enough about him for me to go after it. Okay. That makes sense. Um the next person uh on this list, uh first person um who is a hitter, uh very good suggestion by Scott Chu, someone who didn't go in the draft. They are projected by um, Steamer to be a 
top 50 uh, outfielder by WRC plus, uh, and that's Austin Meadows. Um, so Austin Meadows didn't get drafted, obviously a, a 2022 to forget as he was dealing with COVID and then was dealing with vertigo and then was dealing with an Achilles issue, which is, you know, kind of a, a very strange trifecta to be dealing with. But while he has never been a guy who's going to be able to play 150 games for you, He's going to be able to get over 500 plate appearances for you. Uh, never surpassed 600. 591 is his career high, which he oddly did twice in 2019 and 2021. You know you're going to get a good amount of home runs from him. You're probably going to get 20. Batting average, not going to be terrible, but also not going to be great. Probably around 250. You have to think that in the later rounds, that wouldn't be terrible to get a guy who's going to be able to give you a significant amount of pop uh, and not crush your batting average to get in the 21st, 22nd or 23rd round. Um, Going to be a first full year for him in Detroit, right? We can't really rule that sample as a first year, right? He played 36 games. Um, What are you thinking about Austin Meadows? Did, did, Did people whiff there or they were right to leave him on the waiver wire? You know, he was dealing with vertigo last year. I've been dealing with vertigo for the past 20 years after I saw that film. And I just don't really think, you know, uh, that the man with heights, scared of heights. should Like, who gets assigned to protect a... Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, walk rates are always good for Austin Meadows. And it's always been this idea that he should do well. He had 33 home runs in 2019, 27 in 2021. Late round flyer just to see uh, the playing time out of the gate. And if he's just in a nice comfortable groove like all right I, I totally get that one from scott too you're chasing uh and many of these the third outfielder is the swappable player it's the easiest yeah. one to fill austin meadows could easily be one of the guys that's off the way waiver wire quickly likes his new spot and just has that for the entire year yeah, there's, I'm looking at some of the guys who went later on. Again, this is October, so a lot of things weren't determined yet. Uh, the last outfielder to go off the board was Brian De La Cruz um, out of Miami. We also have Joey Gallo. You know, someone wanted to take a flyer on Joey Gallo, which is understandable, and Cody Bellinger. Give me Austin Meadows over all three of those guys. I mean, obviously, some more home run pop out of Gallo or Bellinger, but significantly larger uh, average hit. If I can get... 20 to 25 home runs, uh, you know, with maybe even a few stolen bases in, in, in the last rounds as kind of a sub and outfielder. That's fine. I understand guys like Harrison Bader, uh, going ahead of him. That makes a lot of sense to me because Bader is going to, you know, give you maybe 15, 15 season overall with a pretty similar average. Um, but Austin Meadows, I think is, is not a bad flyer to take late, especially because he's likely going to be hit hitting pretty high in that Tigers lineup. So yeah, I yes. I don't know if I agree with Joey Gallo and Bellinger going after Meadows. I think actually I would chase those. There, there's there's too high of a ceiling not to, I think, with those two. If you're looking for something safer, I mean, in 15-teamer, I'd rather go with Austin Meadows, I think. 12-teamer, um, 20th round, Bellinger, Gallo makes more sense to me. Because Bellinger, new place, uh, can get settled in. I, I mean, I think it could just kind of click in. Uh, same with Joey Gallo in some aspects. Minnesota, look, it's not LA, it's not New York. Um, you know, Minnesota is virtually, oh, it's okay. <laughs> it's fine. We're in Minnesota. Um, mm. There's such wonderful people there. So uh, Gallo could fit in there and be much uh, more productive. Well, it has a higher ceiling, I think, than Meadows. But then again, as you mentioned, yeah, the average could be much better. The uh, The pop is somewhat similar. 
I understand here. Um, I don't really have too much of an issue, but I think I'm going to be chasing the ceiling early in uh, Gallo and Bellinger over Meadows, but he should have been drafted in this. It's a good call by Chu. Yeah, it's a good call by Chu. As of now, Meadows is slated. I mean, anything could change. We're so far away from opening day, but as of now, he's slated to lead off for the Tigers. I can understand. I, I I can hear a case for uh, for Cody Bellinger. Um, you know, probably going to platoon in Chicago, and you can make a case that he's going to give you more stolen bases. Um, I, I don't know personally. I, I go with Meadows because. Joey Gallo hasn't hit over 203 full seasons, and, mm. and I do not think Cody Bellinger is really ever going to get fixed. Personally, I, I don't even know if he's going to fully end the year in Chicago. It's uh, actually really funny. Uh, you're talking about Bellinger right now. We're going to transition because on the next player's player page, I see a four seamer GIF. If you don't know, our player pages have a GIF of every single pitch they throw. Mm-hmm. And look, look who Merrill Kelly is throwing a four seamer fast. You know what's at, you know what's so funny, and you're legitimately not going to believe me. I am on Merrill Kelly's pitcherless player page right now, and was even before we started this podcast. It is to Joey Gallo, 93 mile an hour fastball down and into Joey Gallo, where he misses his spot. It looks like, but uh, still, that, that is not Joey Gallo. That is Cody Bellinger, the one for the four seamer, four seamer Mer- Merrill Kelly. It says Bellinger in the bottom right, seventh in the batting order. Am I losing my mind? Oh, am I on? I was on uh, oh, that. Wow, dude, this is, this is so weird. I yeah. was on 2020. 2020 was Joey Gallo. Go Joey click Gallo. on. That, oh, my dude, God. That's incredible. That is so weird. That's so weird, dude. That's so bizarre. That's amazing. So that is Merrill so gifts are against Joey Gallo and Cody Plunger. This is the best segue we've ever had on this podcast. That is unbelievable. You hear that like is... the silence of like, oh, Nick is going to have to edit this later because um, there's something that's going on, whatever. No, dude, that was weird. <laughs> that was very weird. Um, man, that's weird. Okay. Uh, anyway, Merrill Kelly. Yeah, it was the next guy that we wanted to talk about. I'm a, I'm a little bit shocked that he didn't go in this draft, even everything that we knew about him. So Merrill Kelly, obviously coming off a, a career year, right? 200 innings, you know, so... Career best in innings pitched, career best in whip, in ERA, in FIP, in Sierra. Obviously, I don't think any of those things are going to maintain, but I don't think it's unrealistic to think that he could be a high three ERA pitcher um, with an okay whip and a decent amount of Ks that get accumulated uh, due to having you know anywhere from 180 to 200 innings pitched. I was doing a little bit of a deep dive on him earlier for my... Um, 2023 pitcher research and oh, something yeah. really something really fascinating happened with his uh cutter um it, it turned into a fly ball machine for him he used to be around a 40 percent 42 three percent um fly ball rate with that cutter it was up to 55 percent last year really changed up the mix a little bit where he just kind of went cutter change up uh, dropped down the sinker, dropped down the curveball a little bit and kept the four-seamer in. I really wonder if he's a guy that Brett Strom had a positive impact on last year. Obviously, Brett Strom came in, became the new um, uh, Arizona Diamondbacks pitching coach last year. So I don't know if he was one of the people that had a really positive impact on Merrill Kelly, but he did some really interesting things. I mean, uh, we talked a little bit about this earlier on, about the things that are stickiest year over year, um, thanks to the great research 
research done by Kyle Bland. And ERA is not one of those things, but Sierra is very much so, more so than any other ERA estimator. Uh, so that 401 Sierra that he had, I would expect the ERA to regress a little bit more towards that, but not entirely. I think he's a very interesting pick to take uh, a little later on. I know you might disagree because you probably don't think that Merrill Kelly has enough upside, right? So first of all, don't draft Tobies. Second of all, um, I want to tell everybody really quickly how much of a professional Alex Fast is. In the middle of his whole thing with Merrill Kelly, I'm in a New York City apartment mm. and uh, it's cold. It is freezing. My heat has been kind of on and off at times. I have to look like FDR right with the blanket over uh, my legs and my heat has returned. So I turned it on. It was wonderful. However, in a New York City apartment, these things sound like bombs going off. Yeah. They get so loud. Mm -hmm. And I forgot that in my cozy room that I didn't turn off my radiator before this podcast started. I started to hear the heat coming on, the steam going. So I just gave Fast one of those like turning over the finger being like, keep going. Mm -hmm. And I disappeared. I took off my headphones. I couldn't even hear him. I got my pliers. I have to get my pliers because the handle broke. <laughs> so I have to. So the screw, I have to get pliers to twist this thing. And I come back. What do I hear? Oh, yeah. And his, you know, the great work by Kyle Bland, Sierra 401, stickiest thing year to year. Oh, wonderful stuff. Just want to let you guys know that Alex Fast is behind the scenes. Deal. Look behind the scenes. Is, look, I don't I didn't have to edit. I, you know, I could have just said, stop. We're going to edit this for a second and mm. then do that. But I didn't feel like we needed to. Instead, I had to tell no. you the story. OK, Merrill Kelly. I think the, the biggest thing we underrated for 2022 was how good the Arizona Diamondbacks defense was. And mm. the biggest change yeah. from 2021 to 22 was the Hipper 9 going from 9.3 to 7.5. The walk rate went up 1.5 ticks. The the expected Babbitt went down 40 points. Uh, so did the Babbitt as well. Do we believe that Merrill Kelly deserved that massive hit per nine drop that brought him to a 1.14 whip and a 337 here. Oh my God, 337 here, right? I know, it's crazy. I, I, I'm I going to say no. I'm going to say that he didn't really do so much with all his stuff to all of a sudden become that kind of pitcher. The cutter got worse. He, he had fewer strikes dramatically so with him. 10 point drop. It was a crazy 72% before, but a lot a little bit more hard contact on it. <laughs> batting average in play though way better because he didn't give like the the easy ones in the zone but he did allow a lot more hard contact so it's a kind of weird thing with that cutter i don't know how i feel about that it's the fly uh, balls yeah i guess so i uh, the fly ball rate on the pitch did go up um you might you might have missed you might have missed it when i was I, away but i think about, it's about i, I think cutter. he totally missed it yeah, yeah yeah okay yeah. so you guys this is you know i'm not the professional fastest so <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that is the thing, but it is it was hit harder though, and it's a little bit concerning. But fly balls a little bit easier. It's fine. Okay, I understand. I mm -hmm. uh, a lot more ground balls on the on the changeup is good. That means he's keeping it down. Low lock was excellent this past year on that changeup, uh, getting down to seventy nine percent, up to 79 percent, I should say. Near eighty percent is elite, like absolutely elite. Um, Sixty five percent is the league average on changeups down. Uh, four seamer had more velocity, a tick more. At the beginning of the year, it was 93, 94, and we we're like, oh boy. Um, but it was only 92 to 93, really, for the full year. Did get more whiffs on it. 
uh, dramatically so, but the high lock was the same. Uh, 8% swing strike rate to 11%, and I don't really understand it, honestly. But across the board in all of this, the averages went down on on Kelly's stuff. You can hear you know, the run value or the P-Val, all that stuff. All of it is just saying when this pitch was put into play, how good was it? It yeah. obviously was much better this past year for Merrill Kelly. I just, I, I see this and I see 337 E-Ray 114 whip in a peak season. I don't think anyone believes that it's going to be that again. I mean, do you? I, I could be wrong here. No, I don't. I, I, I was saying that I think it's going to regress more towards the, the four Sierra. It wouldn't surprise me if he kept that ERA under four, though. It wouldn't okay, surprise right. me if so he was like able a three, to eight five or something, right? So what I yeah, what yeah. I was saying was like if you if you can get a three eight or a three eight five with a sub mm-hmm. one two whip and maintain the twenty two percent K rate, that's that's not bad. I mean, I, I know it's yeah. not your favorite so, thing, but the ESPN Player Rater. Uh, oh, I has 13, 13 wins last year. We'll also do that. And also 337 array, 114 web over 200 innings. I understand why the ESPN player reader has Carol favorable um, or favorably. Carol? Who's Carol? Uh, <laughs> Merrill Kelly is Carol to me now. <laughs> okay. Merrill and Kelly become Carol. Carol Belly? <laughs> Carol, Carol Belly. Belly. <laughs> they have him better than Martin Perez, Robbie Ray, Luis Castillo, Kevin Gaussman. Yeah. That's pretty wild. I mean, I can get that. Gosman had the whip stuff. Uh, the 13 wins, I sh- I'm sure, propelled him up there. Um, the fact of the matter is, to me, Merrill Kelly is someone I don't want to start my season with. There's always someone that's like Merrill Kelly through the year that you pick up off the wire. You know, that had a 4.44 ERA the year before, and it's a 3.37, or just just something better that never gets, never has the bottom fall out from under it, right? That happens every single year. I don't want to go into the season settling for what you think he could have a sub for ERA. It's just not, it's not a move that wins your league. Um, now, if you repeat 337, if he, if he, if he has a 337 ERA, okay, and 13 wins. But if I'm going, ending my, uh, exiting my draft and settling for a 385 ERA pitcher through the year, no. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to tackle that. If I want to turn to that, if I feel like I've missed so much on stuff, then, um, then, okay, you will find that on the wire. Even in my t- best example I can give you right now, that 385 is essentially what, if not better, what my streaming ERA was through the year. And that's with sub 20% rostered. This is, you're able to find this. And I, I really have to emphasize that. 12 teamers, this is what you're supposed to do. 15 teamers, the value of Kelly goes way up because the threshold of what should be on the waiver wire or not is goes farther down and you can't just be burning and churning as much. Merrill Kelly then is a stable or rock. You're happy to have him on your teams. Like you're probably not going to drop him through the year, that kind of thing. 12 teamers, I don't think that this is something you should go for. I, I So here's my counter argument uh, and why I disagree. Um, in a 12 teamer, you're probably going to have a minimum of at least five starting pitchers per team, right? Sure. A minimum because there's nine mm-hmm. total pitchers. Let's say some people have four relievers. Some people have three, whatever. You're going to have a minimum last year, fewer than, uh, fewer than th- 33 pitchers had a sub three, eight, five ERA. Uh, okay. and that's qualified pitchers. If you're getting a three, eight, five ERA. That's helping you win your leagues. 
That's like that, that getting that pitcher that late, having that be your number four, number five pitcher, that is helping oh, you man. win your no, leagues. It's not. Yes, it is with the not, amount it's, it's of people that are drafting. It's too pedestrian. It is, it is mathematically impossible for you to be, unless you drafted all of these guys, there's no, it's very difficult to be able to get something like this off the waiver. What? Last year, that's what we all did. That, that I, was like, that was so, okay, Tyler Anderson, uh, Martin Perez, uh, Miles Michaelis, uh, Merrill Kelly. Um, this is just off the top of my head. Cal Quantrill. Like, it, it, it's, this is every year, Tobies exist. Like, it's not, it's not something that is uh, just like, oh, oh, I'm going to get this right now. This yeah. is, that's how this works in 12-teamers. Um, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, what, what is the biggest shift uh, of your league in season off of the waiver wire is like getting jumping in on the guys that are that are actually going to be big for you like christian javier and spencer Stray this past year or the previous ones of i uh, i mean even you could say tyler anderson um mm-hmm. as at, but the thing is you didn't draft tyler anderson you got him when it was working out so that, that's what i'm getting at is you have to put yourself in position to then see those guys are performing well and in good situations like oh there's something that's a little bit different and this could work and i like this and roll with that yeah good example here merrill kelly he gets the dodgers the first weekend i'm not starting merrill kelly against the dodgers the first weekend of the season i'm just not Mm -hmm. and so what i'm gonna have to do then if i draft merrill kelly is then i'm saturday comes he starts right because zach allen's gonna go opening day i'm not gonna start him against the dodgers then i gotta sit in my hands with this guy on my roster literally not starting him until Friday next week or so like uh, that's seven days where there's going to be something that is going to be amazing. But instead I'm not going to sacrifice that for Merrill Kelly. I'm not going to do that. Sure. I, I just think that we, we both agree that he could have a three, eight, five ERA it's rather possible. than it's an outcome, but it's yeah. also, you know, I'd say even more, uh, even so if not slightly more could be over a four. I'm not going to concede saying like, Oh, he has a three, eight, five ERA this year. What do uh so let's look at some of the other pitchers who went a little bit later. Um Merrill Kelly or Jose Barrios? I that's a very good question. I'm gonna answer it after this break. So Kelly versus Brios is very interesting because one side of it is chasing a, a more aggressive ceiling in Brios, but I also would think like Brios used to be the like settle for Barrios kind of pitcher. And he has this horrible, horrible season last year. Uh, first week of the season is when we're just going to be like seeing, like, feeling things out here, right? He'll likely get uh, the Cardinals. We just didn't get someone amazing, right? It was just Gosman and still just Gosman and Manoa. Am I forgetting someone? Uh, no, Chris right? Bassett. Oh, Chris Bassett. So it actually might be the the Royals. Thank you. The uh, Royals' mm-hmm. first game of the year. Uh, I would be more interested in starting Barrios for that than I would waiting a week uh, to start Merrill Kelly against the Padres. Yeah, it's just you, you never know what these guys. I mean, you have to figure obviously that Merrill Kelly is at the top of the rotation, considering behind him is Madison Bumgarner, Ryan Nelson, and uh, 
Yeah, Zach and, Allen, uh, Dre would Jameson, be the one, so number two, yeah. would be Kelly. I just yeah. you never. It's just so early to think about who's going to be starting against two and what a rotation is going to shape up to be. But I hear what you're saying. Um, so you're going to go with Jose Barrios there for the matchup. Yep. Um, so I imagine every single one of these pitchers is just always going to be a better matchup. Like uh, Luis Patino, would you rather have Mary, Merrill Kelly no, over Luis Patino? Uh, no, Patino, I don't really trust. I don't want to start in that first one. I'm not. I don't. I don't really think that I'm going to go after Patino. Okay. You know, I, I think of it that like it's about how, am I going to be able to make my decision or not? You know, there's yeah. some of these younger ones that even if they have that good first start, I still don't think I'm going to be able to really lean on them. So I'm actually not chasing a lot of those either. Okay. Patino is one of those. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to make of this. All, all right. right. Well, but what I all I'm trying to get at is let's say Kelly, Kelly had a good start or opening this season. Then I would be like, great, cool. Go get that start, right? Circle that one and say, have him on your team if that goes well. And then you keep holding on to it, right? Um, and that sometimes that just kind of works out that way. Uh, but it's important to to know who you're chasing and making those decisions quickly. That first okay. week, oh, man, it's so important. Make your decisions quick. Know who those guys are. Know who you want to start and then move on. Um, because then you'll miss out on, I mean, until they got injured, but like Jesus Lazardo, Tyler McGill last year, were just like, oh my gosh, like clearly very good. And then they got hurt. Um, last, like last one, last one, Jose or Ooh, I trust Urquidy to be better than Merrill Kelly. Okay. Well, joke's on you, Nick, because all of those gentlemen are behind Merrill Kelly in your top 200 starting pitchers. So you <laughs> okay. need to go ahead and change it. Yeah. All right. Do you well, understand well, me? That was, that was ridiculous. October. Yeah. It's not ridiculous. ridiculous. When did, where did I put Merrill Kelly? 75. Yeah, I like, I, I remember. 76, con- excuse me. And where did I put Arkady? Uh, 81. Okay. <laughs> so I need to move Arkady above uh, Merrill Kelly. Probably the same tier, I imagine. And, Bur- no, different tier. Oh, really? And Barrios, different tier. Oh, yeah. Barrios, we, we talked about. Um, I remember that one. I've become more open to chasing Barrios. Um, since I put that out two and a half months ago. <laughs> a lot of changes need to be made. Um, all right, well, we're going to move on because we have uh, some other hitters to get to. Uh, Nick, this was this was a comment that was, you know, so what we did is uh, Nick went into um, the chat room where the mock happened uh, and some of the uh, contributors to the mock uh, mentioned people that should have been drafted. And one of those uh, was brought up by our own Adam Howe, who's absolutely fantastic. But I'm asking you, Nick, what is a Matt Mervis? Do you know what that what is? What is a Matt Mervis? I what do. is a Matt I Mervis? Per- I saw him in first pitch Arizona. Oh, okay. Tell us about yeah. Matt Mervis. I uh, could be the first baseman for the Cubs this year. Big bopper. Mm-hmm. Uh, go read. Um, Chris Clegg's article on the site about Matt Mervis. Lots of fun things to enjoy about the possibility of Matt Mervis coming up soon in the season. Maybe, who knows, maybe he has a fantastic spring and deserves an opening day spot. I mean, that lineup could use some help after they did just uh, make some signings. Dansby Swanson, uh, Cody Bellinger. So, we'll see. Maybe Matt Mervis uh, becomes a huge impact, and I understand that being a last-round pick of, again, Taking those high upside plays that you'll be able to make your decision early in the season. If he's not on the roster, great. Then you go and chase something else. 
Yeah, Matt Marvis is an interesting one. Uh, as you mentioned, go read some of those articles about him on Pitcher List. It seems like he's just been crushing it in terms of average and a smaller sample size, uh, but also has a good amount of pop in that bat as well. So it could be a fun option as of now. Roster resources slated him in to be the DH, the platoon towards the back end of that um, uh, uh, lineup. So probably someone I would keep on the wire in a, in a 300, barring any changes in spring training. Uh, let's move on to the next person that we wanted to talk about who went undrafted, uh, and that is Hunter Brown. So Hunter Brown, we got a nice glimpse of inside of the uh, end of last season when Justin Verlander went down. As of right now, Hunter Brown, even with the loss of Justin Verlander, does not uh, have a, a, a job. He's not in the starting rotation right now because they still have Valdez, Christian Javier, Lance McCullers, Luis Garcia, and Jose Arquiti. That doesn't necessarily preclude the fact that if he's got a very good uh, spring training, he could crack that rotation either at the expense of, I don't know, maybe Luis Garcia, although that would kind of surprise me, or maybe they go with the six man. Um, are you keeping Hunter Brown on the waiver, bearing any changes in uh, in spring training? Barring, yeah, right, I should that's say. The thing. Um it's possible they do go six man. Uh, you could say McCullough still hasn't had the full season of health. Christian Javier's still kind of young. Uh, he had his 140 innings last year, but is he able to stretch it out fully? Or Keedy, uh, you want to make sure that he's healthy through the year. Luis Garcia wasn't trusted by the Astros down the stretch. And Framber Valdez is the only one that they would trust really going for the full year. So you can say, you know what? Why not? Six-man rotation, ease Hunter Brown in. I'm sure someone will get hurt. And then all of a sudden, you have the five men. You can just rely back on that. There's an idea that that could happen. I don't think it will. And I also, I don't know how much I actually in, uh, love Hunter Brown. Hmm. He doesn't get that many whiffs on the fastball. Um, he didn't throw too many, just 160 or so last year. But Hunter Brown's fastball was a... 8.5% swing strike rate. Uh, I thought it would be better at 96 miles per hour, but not actually as good. And he didn't elevate. It's not like he just didn't put the ball up. No, he he did a decent amount about half the time. Um, there's good movement on, on the breakers, and that certainly got my attention in his debut. Definitely check out that YouTube video I made of Hunter Brown watching him pitch on our Pitchless channel. So there clearly is upside and, and everybody's been really excited about it. It feels a lot like Tanner Houck almost in this way mm. of how people are so thrilled about a 20 inning sample that Hunter <laughs> Brown has, has, has given us. But I get it at the end of the draft. Why not? He's someone that if he does get a rotation spot should be on a 12 teamer. Yeah. So, all right. See how spring training goes. See if he does get that uh, that spot in the rotation early. And if not, always just be on the periphery. If you have an open spot, and maybe at any moment, it could be like Christian Javier, where he gets that opportunity. Christian Javier had a fantastic fastball out of the gate, though, even when he first made his debut. So not uh, not as convinced that Hunter Brown is the next coming of him. Okay, moving on to the next player that was not drafted. This might have been because he didn't have a team yet and had not uh, been responsible for the Chicago White Sox offering more money than they had ever offered to any other free agent in the history of their franchise. <laughs> and that is Andrew Benintendi. That's so wild. That's it's unbelievable. That's like, yeah. actually, that's made me so sad for Chicago White Sox fans. Right. So. Obviously, Ben Tendi at the beginning of last year was just crushing it when he was with the Royals. I mean, by crushing it, I mean in terms of the average department. Uh, he had a 320 average when he was with the Royals, just three home runs. 
um, and just four stolen bases at the time. Stolen bases, I guess, isn't too much of a surprise, but you would expect to see a few more home runs uh, in 400 plate appearances than three. Then he goes over to the Yankees, uh, drops down to about a 254 batting average, doesn't really have the same success, and the strikeouts just skyrocket. Ends up having a going from a 13% K rate to a 19% K rate when he goes over to New York. You have to figure um, that when he goes to Chicago, not going to be too much of a change, going to be fewer than 20 home runs. He's never hit more than 20, hit 20 once in 2017. So you have to figure between 10 and 15 home runs, likely about 10 stolen bases at most with an average that could be anywhere, right? An average that could be in the low 270s or could be up around 300 again. Um, So a little bit of risk there. As of right now, Steamer projects him to be outside of the top 50, uh, I believe, in terms of WRC+, though that is projected has been done without the park factor taking account there is Andrew Benintendi a a good risk for you in your mind to you know maybe if you've punted average early in the draft and you want to take a risk on a guy who could potentially hit 280 290 over the course of a season yeah I don't hate this uh Benintendi as your outfield three if you essentially go two outfielders and then trying to piece something together uh if you just completely forget about outfield you're in your 12 team like oh what the heck why not Andrew Benintendi just to fill the gap uh, he could hit, yeah, near a leadoff, if not leadoff for the White Sox. Um, that's pretty cool. He does get on base a decent amount, 373 last year, despite, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, 10% walk rate. No, no, despite 304 average, despite that second half. That's what I meant with the Yankees where he was hurt. Andrew Benatani is good. Um, by the way, speaking about salaries and stuff, I found out uh, this is how detached I am from uh, from Premier League soccer. Uh, okay. football during the World Cup. I found out. Do you know how much Mbappe makes? Do you know what his contract is? Um, I can't tell if it's super high or super low. Um, I would say that it's. I'm going to go with the super high one and say that it's in the hundreds. How of many millions. years do you think the contract is? When I say um, Mbappe will make 126 million dollars. 126. Uh, what? Yeah. Like four years? One year. <laughs> yeah that's good one year he has a three yeah. year about 650 million dollar contract three years yeah and he was also on that team lionel messi making 110 lionel messi, million yeah. in one year this is i yeah. mean it's just like the thing like we're talking about what five years 75 million for andrew benatendi and that's the highest ever for the the white Sox, right did i get that right I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow your mind for a second. The yeah, uh, the Saudi Arabian League is trying to lure Ronaldo to their oh, league to bring oh, some some bring some acclaim to them. They for one year they want to pay him 212 million dollars. Yeah, right. What? That's unbelievable. <laughs> Why do we cover baseball? <laughs> yeah, we're in the wrong country. Just kidding. I that, that that just blew my mind. Um, I know everyone's like, yes, Nick. We all know this. We all went over this like ages ago. I'm like, I just. I don't care about Premier League football at all. Go Sunderland because apparently I have relatives that like one Sunderland was like, was like the doctor for like the team doctor for Sunderland or something like the team three, doctor for you know, Sunderland third cousin or something like that. Um, okay, but yeah, so go Sunderland. I guess I don't. I don't they're think terrible. they're even. I think they got relegated. Yeah, I don't even oh, yeah, think they're they in the back, Premier League but anymore. But then they weren't. Then they, you know. Anyway, that's crazy to me. Come on, White Sox, get it together. You know, pay someone more than $80 million on a contract. It doesn't even have to be one year. You can do this. Yeah. I believe in you. 
The fans you know? deserve that. There's no the reason that the that. Canadian Hanson that is Mbappe should be able to get 126 million in one year, and that is the best contract ever for the White Sox and Ben Attendee. It is. It's, it's unbelievable. Path. We're going to move on to yeah. a. We're going to move on to another pitcher, but before we do, we're going to take another quick commercial break. So just so you guys know, I know, I know. Fast, I was worried that I was going to steal a second ad break from him. That he uh, he did a little quick on the gun. I get it. I get it. But we have a lot of guys. We're going we're gonna to go a little bit long on this one because of all my thoughts about Merrill Kelly. It's all my fault. But someone just like Merrill Kelly last year was Martin Perez. 289 ERA. Yes. 196 uh, innings pitch. 196, but 126 whip. That's why Merrill Ke- Kelly was higher. I... Uh, 12 wins plus 13, 21% K rate. Are you drafting Martin Perez? Uh, no. Um, Why not? But that's because that's because I think there would be more regression for Martin Perez than I think there will be for Merrill Kelly. Oh, yeah. Um, let's, put, let's put Carol Melly on the side now. Okay. Uh-huh. That was intentional. It's the holidays. Got to represent the Carols. Um, let's, let's forget about that. But like Martin Perez... So you don't buy the uh, the surge that he had last year? No, I don't buy the surge, and I'm probably not drafting him because I don't see... Yeah, no one bought the surge in the 2000s. <laughs> uh, I I don't see a ERA... Like, I can abide an ERA above or around four at the end of my drafts if it comes with substantial K upside, if it comes with substantial Who whip. That? Who says that outside of a Coen Brothers movie? I will abide... What? I can I can abide I guess I don't call my brothers man it's funny um, I can I can abide that the dude abides by that um, but there's there are it, it's difficult for me to see um, a lot of redeeming qualities there because I don't necessarily think he's going to repeat in any facet I don't know if he's going to have 190 plus innings again I don't think he's going to have uh, a career high in K's again um, I don't think he's going to have a career low in WHIP again or a career best ERA and FIP again. Um, so I think all of those things are going to fall by the wayside. So plus four ERA, a whip that's probably going to be around 1.3 with a sub 20% K rate and fewer than what is probably 180 innings. No, there, I just don't think that's that's really worth it. If it works out, if he is able to repeat that again, hey man, Godspeed, that's fantastic. Take the risk there, but uh, that's not for me. Remember those days when Martin Perez was suddenly throwing like 94 miles per hour and we were like, whoa, buddy, slow down. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, what happened this past year is the changeup was really good. Uh, he commanded it so well down in an arm side. Uh, it was like butter, so consistent. And he needed the cutter and sinker to be on opposite sides of the plate. I mean, there were these days where the command was just perfect. And to me, that is a true Toby. That is what makes a Toby a Toby. You're in a rhythm. Actually, I'm sorry, not a Toby, a Vargas rule. You're in a rhythm with your stuff. You're locating well. You're not making mistakes with it. Any pitcher theoretically could do that because there's a reason why everyone's a major leaguer. They all have some ability that is good enough to survive in the majors. And if you're able to replicate that start to start, then that's a Vargas role. We don't expect it to stick around. So Martin Perez, yeah, the, the offseason is this giant wall stopping you and after a Vargas role. So I'm very much out on this. But hey, if he's the first game locating like he did last year, um, he'll be added to my streaming list constantly. I imagine he won't actually because he'll be drafted more than uh, you know, he'll be drafted and not available um, in most leagues, I would think, because of the 289 ERA. But we'll see. 
Yeah, the, the one last thing I, I want to say, and I, I, I don't know if I do or don't want to keep harping on this one particular thing from Kyle Bland, but it is such fantastic research, is that um, the thing that he found, the metric that he found or that we found was the, uh, is it we? Because he did the actual work. I just suggested the <laughs> metric. I guess it, I don't know. It's him. Uh, the thing that he found was the least sticky year over year metric. And I mean a zero correlation year over year. And that's a six season sample with a minimum of 60 innings pitched season by season. The metric he found with the least sticky was home run to fly ball. Um, now that, that, I mean, it's very shocking to me and that there is quite literally a zero correlation. Like usually you would expect to see like 0.3 or whatever. And it was a zero for home run to fly ball. That does make sense considering how could there be a correlation when the core thing itself changes year over year. And all of a sudden we have these mysterious balls. And then the dead ball and the Goldilocks and all of that. A hundred percent. So you have to believe that that is still going to continue to happen. But what that means then is that there is concrete evidence that they we will not see a 6.5 home run to fly ball rate from Martin Paris next year. I know it would probably be nice to like look at the fact that he was in Texas. And while he'd been in Texas before, this is the first time he pitched in Texas with that ballpark. Um, and think, oh my God, his home run issues are solved. He had a 0.5 home run per nine and a 6.5 home run to fly ball rate. It's not sticky year over year. Um, I don't know if he's going to fully regress back to like 15%, which we have seen from him in the past, but it it very well could be above 10, which is just all the more reason to say that that ERA is smoke and mirrors. Anyway, um, we should move on with you on this. Um, yeah, I mean, streaming option if he's available through the year. Exactly. Um, I wanted to pepper in, as I mentioned earlier, some of the great relief pitchers that uh, Rick Graham had brought up. And uh, this is where I'm always hunting for relievers. My plan is uh, we've probably talked about ad nauseum over the past couple of years is like get one guy that is probably going to be a top five guy and then don't spend any other major draft capital on relievers. Just wait until the final rounds because there are so many relievers that you can get. And this is one of them. Right. So if you like to do the strategy that I do, get a good closer and then maybe wait. Um, Alex Lang is, is a really good option and save holds as well. He is currently, according to roster resource, um, in a committee with Gregory Soto. Um, so we don't <laughs> we know how every that's... Thursday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They play D and D every Thursday. Um, this is a guy who, you know, can't really pay attention to the ERA because he's a reliever, but 30%, K rate last year uh, over 63 innings with a 19% swinging strike rate. Um, Didn't end up picking up any saves. I don't think he was predominantly used in that role, but he could be next year. So if you're looking for a relatively cheap save option, this is a guy with like a 27% swing strike rate on that curveball. It's a very, very good pitch. So that's kind of a a fun one if you like to wait until the final rounds for relievers. Yeah. I totally understand that for the Tigers, it's it's kind of interesting because uh, if you could just run away with it, it's absolutely possible. Eighth best swing strike rate in the majors uh, among all relief pitchers for Alex Ling last year, 19.5%. There was 96 uh, and has a wicked curveball that had a 26% swing strike rate to it. That's um that's it. There you go. Uh, he's a sinker guy. So it's not like a, a overpowering four seamer at 96. Only a 5% swing strike rate, if you can believe it. Uh, so there is actually something to fix there. But why are all relievers relievers? Because they didn't have consistency to be a starter. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
I understand that's his weakness. You know, he throws for a strike under 60% of the time, which is kind of wild. The curveball is easily his best pitch. And yeah, he can still be a fantastic reliever. So yeah, I, I dig that one. If he does run away with the job, there you go. You got your closer deep in the draft. There's another one. Um, Brandon Hughes was mentioned. Fast, do you have anything on Brandon Hughes? Uh he, I believe, is projected to be a closing option for the Chicago Cubs, right? Absolutely. Yeah, this past year, 47th in uh, swing strike rate, 16%. It's good to see there. He doesn't really have the most overpowering fastballs, just at 93 miles per hour. Uh, but what do you know? The breaking ball is really good. <laughs> He's a reliever. Get out of here. 25% <laughs> swing strike rate on just a 15% hard contact allowed, 37% CSW high strike rate, um, well above 60%. He throws about half the time. He's just a really a four-seamer slider guy. Again, no real distinct closer in Chicago at the moment. So yeah. it's possible that Brandon Hughes does uh, earn that role in the spring. Yeah, and that's the thing too. Like, I don't really care the team. Like, I know that might seem a bit apocryphal, but like some people will be like, you all, the Cubs aren't going to be that great. You know, even with Dansby Swanson, it doesn't really, that lineup doesn't really strike fear into your hearts. It's a very good defensive. Strike um, fear. Sorry. Uh, a very good defensive team, but I don't know if it's great. But even with that, I don't necessarily know if I care as much because, I mean, there are plenty of, oper- there are plenty of times in many seasons, a lot of data to show that even if a team is poor, uh, there can be a guy who gets 25, 30 saves. Um, so Brandon Hughes, I also think is an interesting option. Uh, d- d- does your saying Brandon Hughes mean that you want to skip these other three guys? Uh, who are the other three? There are three other relievers. No, 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 no. But you went from Alex Lang to Brandon Hughes. And oh, skipped, no, I was, uh, just, I was just grouping together the relief. OK, OK, OK. I didn't know. But we, we can burn through relatively quick Cal Quantrill. This is a dude that we've talked about, I think, a few times in the past couple of weeks. I mean, I, I, I've said repeatedly in this cast, you know, Sierra is the stickiest ERA indicator. You can't look at ERA because it's not sticky year over year. And if there is an exception to that rule, it's Cal Quantrill, who has had back to back years with about a four or five Sierra and sub three, five ERAs, 289 in 2021 and 338 in 2022 is this the year the bubble bursts is there anything else interesting about cal quantrill that makes him an interesting uh a candidate for you he picked up 15 wins last year which is pretty insane well, quick thoughts on cal quantrill he's as toby as toby gets and we don't draft toby's 37 percent o swing on the sinker that's i what i think how he does it um it is a near 300 batting average allowed on that sinker but it's not much damage done against it uh and it's just yeah this is so uninteresting he threw about 1300 fastballs last year sinkers only eight home runs on it uh the cutter has been effective for him and that's it like ugh, i don't want to do this <laughs> 16 or 17 percent strikeout rate last year it's just uh it's not going to go 15 and 5 again all right, you're going to see him all these things. No, 15 wins and 338 ERA and the 121 whip. That means he's a top X starter last year on player Raider. I don't care. Uh, it's not going to be repeated and only 128 strikeouts last year. Oh, boy. Uh, not for okay. me. Uh, the next one is really interesting to think about, and I'm actually kind of shocked that he didn't uh, get drafted. Uh, and that's Oscar Gonzalez, who in his rookie year over about 382 plate appearances or exactly 382 plate appearances slashed 296, 327, 461 with a 122 WRC plus and a 339 WOBA. 
yeah, he only had a 3.9% walk rate and, you know, 20% K rate isn't too outlandish considering modern circumstances. Uh, 11 home runs, um, you know, not bad, uh, fewer than 400 plate appearances. But again, that average really going to benefit you there. There's a chance that with a significant amount of playing time, which he should get, he should be an everyday outfielder for the Guardians next year. He could get about 20 home runs with a near 280 average. Um, Don't know where he's going to be hitting in that lineup right now. Uh, He is currently projected in that lineup. Let me see. To hit a little bit lower, to hit seventh in that lineup, which could definitely ding those runs and ribbies. But we're talking a little bit about Steamer and what Steamer thinks of uh, you know some of these outfielders. They project him to be a near top thirty outfielder uh, by WRC plus standards. They actually have him relatively close, actually the same WRC plus as Christian Yelich. Now Yelich, of course, going to finish with more yeah, runs not, and ribbies. That's not saying so much about Yelich, yeah. Uh, by the way, that was a wonderful stall, top-notch stall. Um, I'm talking about uh, professionalism before. I mean, there you heard it. Holding out the 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 word like you were the Argentinian announcer at the World <laughs> Cup. It was brilliant fast. I'm doing my best. I'm, I'm trying to cut down the sniffles and get right to the facts. Do you think then that, you know, we already mentioned some of the guys who were taken a little bit later. Uh, should Oscar Gonzalez have been taken in, inside of this draft or is he waiver wire fodder and 12 teamers? Eh, I, I don't know if he's the one that I'm jumping for. He's uh, Oscar Gonzalez doesn't walk a lot. He's a hacker. He could come out of the gate swinging and uh having some fun with that and that sometimes we've seen it's the guys that are aggressive early and uh pitchers aren't quite in the groove and you can get home runs early from somebody that's that's like an old wives tale of baseball analysis you know and uh it's not really um something that i would lean on in my drafts i wouldn't want to put oscar gonzalez in my lineup in the first week in a 12 teamer um but if things are going well Sure, maybe Oscar Gonzalez can do it. I mean, batting seventh for the Guardians isn't too enticing either. Yeah. Uh, I would I would have to be in a dire place if I wanted to go for him in a 12-team or 15-team are kind of interesting, but not 12. Okay. Moving on to another pitcher who was not drafted. Uh, it's an interesting one. It's Carlos Carrasco going into what is going to be his age 36 season. We got the innings somewhat last year and that we eclipsed 100. He ended up throwing 150, which is great. And we also got a sub four ERA. We also got some indicators that the 397 ERA could be heading in the other direction with a 3.53 FIP and a 3.6 Sierra. Good amount of Ks. The whip, however, really, really not pretty. And just overall, a, a sort of degradation of stuff, right? Like it just didn't look like the, uh, you know, the breakers. I mean, yeah, they, they picked up a little bit in terms of swing strike. But like, I don't know if I just felt the same way about that slider change up combination uh, over the, uh, the course of the year in terms of consistency. But you can't make a really good argument that there is good upside even going into that age 36 season from Carrasco. Is he a guy that you're just going to let someone else draft or could you see yourself taking him with the final pick? I worry about the heater getting worse and worse. Um, 92 point, sorry, 93.2 on the fastball is the lowest he's had for a long time, if not the lowest. It's not so much worse in the last two years. It's just gotten a little bit slower each year. The hard contact was so high, though, 37%. Oh, boy. Got destroyed for a 404 Woba um, in 2022. While the change of insider for Carrasco were not that consistent. When you had both of them working, things were all right. 
But I would feel from start to start, uh, he would change, obviously, changeups against lefty heavy lineups, sliders against righties. I mean, he would lean in on that very much so. I, I don't think this is the overwhelming guy from the past. Um, I remember last year unfavorably ranking Carrasco and getting, I think, on Reddit's bad side for it. At the same time, the end of the season, 1-3-33 whip. Um, that didn't help you. Four ERA is not great. 15 wins, awesome. But for me, Carrasco is, uh, yeah, he is a best of Toby, I think. Um, at least he has some strikeout potential for it, but really it's one of those start to start things and you feel like you're gambling every time. Maybe I should even say it's a cherry bomb, not really even a toe because he does have some strikeout upside, but it does feel like he does really well or really poorly. Um, yeah, it's not a guy I really want to go for. That said, I'm going to stick to what I talked about with Merrill Kelly. Who do the Mets get fast? Uh, the opening weekend? Well, it's the Miami Wait. Marlins for four. Uh, Marlins. Yeah. Were you going to, you're going to guess the Marlins? I wasn't going to. No, but I think they play the rain. No, not, that's the Phillies. Never mind. But he, he won't be the Marlins. It's possible if he's the no, five four. instead of Senga, but I would think the four. If he's the five, it would be the Milwaukee Brewers. Both of those, I'd feel fine starting him. Yeah. So for that reason, maybe I would go after him in the 22nd, 23rd round because like, okay, I need to fill out this rotation of guys that I do want to start relatively early and then who I could be dropping for whoever I think is interesting off the wire, right? Getting some yeah. value out of that roster spot early. Um, so it's possible, but yeah, he's a cherry bomb. I, I understand the sentiment of just avoiding volatile players just in general. Just don't deal with that. Don't put yourself through that headache at all. I totally get that. Um, I'm yeah, unless I want to fill out that opening weekend or so, I'm probably staying away from Carlos Carrasco. All right, we got one more hitter and one more pitcher that we want to get to here. The hitter is, man, always an interesting choice. I feel like these guys are pretty divisive year in and year out. A lot of interesting debate about whether this is a viable person to be taking in your drafts or not. There's some good conversation about it at First Pitch Arizona as well. And that's John Birdie. So uh, those Birdie boys were going crazy last year because they he finally did what a lot of people thought he could have been doing for years now, which is racking up stolen bases. We saw seven. 17 in 2019. Then, of course, we saw a drop in plate appearances for him. And then for the first time ever surpassed 400 plate appearances at the moment, he's scheduled to be leading off for the Marlins, which is interesting. Don't know if a guy who's hitting 240 at the most uh, over the course of a full year is going to be able to continue to do that. But he had 41 stolen bases for you last year. So Birdie is ostensibly going to give you an okay, maybe an okay amount of runs no RBIs, likely not a great average, because I don't know if I'm really buying a 273 over a sub 300 plate appearance sample um, with a significant amount of stolen bases. Is that someone you're interested in taking? And and remember the format here, because we're not talking about Roto. We're not talking about points. We're talking about weekly head to head. So you're looking to get one or two stolen bases a week to try and win that category. Is Birdie the guy you're drafting to do that? Fast, I think it's about time we had the talk. The birdie oh, no. and the SBs. <laughs> and in a head-to-head 5x5, five five, birdie is actually someone I would draft um, at the end. Why? Because Mondays and Thursdays, you want somebody to swap in that can make a difference. Mm-hmm. John Birdie, 41 stolen bases, most in the majors. He can get you a stolen base on Monday or Thursday if he's playing. And... Generally, I, I talk about this across the six months of the season. 
for the most part, I uh, focus on those bench spots to be pitchers in the first month or two to ensure that I have more options so that I can secure my team and feel good about it, um, have a, a deep rotation. But then by the middle of May or so, I'm shifting into hitters because for the most part, having the most plate appearances in a week will help you out the most, more so than extra innings uh, in a head-to-head league. Thus, I want to make sure I have Mondays and Thursdays slotted with guys that will get me something. And considering sometimes four stolen bases wins your week, getting an extra stolen base uh, chance from Birdie on Monday and Thursday could be a swing uh, for your leagues. So Birdie is someone I would consider if I felt like I wanted an extra hitter early in the season. If I felt I didn't have many stolen bases, I feel like I could steal a point or two um, across the first month or so with Birdie. I get that. If not, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that head-to-head leagues do diminish the value of Birdie and then Roto. Roto, like, this will this will increase your points by the end of the year guaranteed in some fashion if you're mm-hmm. able to slot Birdie through the year. Um, just like randomly, all right, today, just like once a week, just pick your day, you put in Birdie, and you'll get a good amount of stolen bases that will turn you from a four Roto league to like an eight. And that's four points. One guy just got you without having to invest a full season in them, right? So birdie should have value. It's just about uh, how you want to play it. Um, I want to end on this question. Um, I said we're going to do one pitcher. We're actually going to cheat, and we're going to do a smaller analysis of three pitchers, okay? Okay. Who, which pitcher will be most benefited by their new team of these three pitchers who were not drafted? Mm. Zach Eflin in Tampa, yeah. Mike Clevenger in Chicago, the White Sox, or Noah Syndergaard in LA as a dog. What about Sean Manaya? Sean Manaya, I skipped over purposefully because we had a good discussion about him last week. We did. Okay. Um, yeah. So Who let's take him out of the room. Most benefited by their nucleation, I would say it's Syndergaard. It's Syndergaard. Yeah. To me, it's Syndergaard or Eflin. Um, do any oh, then rank those three in order of who you'd like to draft most? So it's going to be Syndergaard first. Um, because it, look, it's a case where for Eflin, Clevenger, and Syndergaard, I don't actually believe any of them are going to be someone you draft and hold through the year. I just don't. So I'm going to chase the highest outcome, the best outcome possible. The best outcome possible is that Syndergaard heads to the Dodgers after in a full offseason going to driveline and fixing something that gets his slider back. If he doesn't have a slider back, it's not necessarily velocity. It's just the slider back because even going 96 on the fastball before it was still not a good fastball. So only when it was like 99, 100, was it good? Uh, I don't expect that to return for Syndergaard. So maybe like those things work out and he has a good slider again. Zach Eflin going to the Rays. I think the Rays are going to be kind of weird with, with Eflin. Uh, you're not going to get the curveball back. The Rays are probably not going to let Zach Eflin go like 95 pitches, 100 like the Phillies did. I would guess. Maybe they do. Maybe they need somebody to to go deep and they don't really care about Eflin like they do the younger guys that they normally have. I, I actually should look at Corey Kluber's numbers from last year to see if they let him go deep constantly. But my idea is that Eflin's curveball isn't just going to be magically fixed because he's now on the Rays. Okay. Um, I, I just don't believe that Kluber's cutter wasn't fixed uh, just by going to the... Uh, going to the race actually i'm looking at it right now it was no nah, no it wasn't fixed it wasn't fixed pretty much the same um a little more called strikes yay good stuff 
Uh, but innings per game last year for Corey Kluber, which I think is a, or pitches per game, down to 79. And that was a guy you could say, oh, they're just going to let him go out there, right? He's on a veteran deal for a year and like they're not going to baby him. 79 pitches per start for Corey Kluber. I think you're going to see that for Zach Eflin as well. So I'm not interested there. Mike Clevenger, he got a lot of problems, mm. you know, kind of yeah. like Syndergaard, but he's on the White Sox as opposed to uh, the Dodgers. And I'm just going to give the benefit to being on the Dodgers defense and the wins. But yeah, fastball is bad. Slider is bad. <laughs> you got to fix that, Clev. I want to end on some quick trivia that I've been researching in the cool. background as you've been talking because it's very interesting to me. Okay. Would you have uh, Would you have ranked him the same way, by the way? I wasn't listening. Um, I yeah, I, I, I no, no, I was, I was, I was, I was listening. Um, um, maybe I would put Eflin and Syndergaard is a little bit of a toss up. Clevenger is definitely the clear third because I think some of Syndergaard's hair or power came from from that velo, and that might be difficult to replicate. Um, but I think that Zach Eflin already has pieces that he can use to unlock to be able to have sustained success. Um, but I, I think I agree with your assessment. And I think overall, if I was interested in drafting the two of those, you know, both of those organizations are, if you sign someone, you're paying attention, but the, the, the Dodgers just did it with Andrew Heaney. And it wouldn't surprise me that they said to, to Noah Syndergaard, like, all right, you're, you're doing this sweeper now, or you're doing, it wasn't, it didn't end up. Being yeah, sweeper. that's, that's but, fair. Right. Uh, that's a good point. Um, it's interesting. I mean, Andrew Heaney, we saw the skills uh-huh. beforehand, though. You know, he was he was a 25% plus strikeout guy. It was just a home run ball, right? There's a bigger hill to climb, I think, with Noah Syndergaard. You could say, oh, Tyler Anderson, they just did it, too. Um, Anderson was like, hey, throw the change up more. For me, it's Syndergaard. It's like, hey, just be better. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I... Uh, I mean, the change up to get better, too, with the Dodgers. So maybe, yeah, the, the Dodgers do have a better history. But again, the team situation of the defense and the wins. Yeah. That's huge. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, okay, so here's a trivia question. Because this is kind yeah. of interesting to me as I was doing some Let's research. Do it. Th- so we're thinking about rotations here, okay? Okay, yeah. Three teams mm-hmm. have a rotation where four of the five starters, as it stands now, were signed by that original team or drafted by that original team, right? So put okay, it this way. Wait, you just said three, four, and five, which is pretty fun. That three is teams. Funny. Three teams have a rotation. Yeah. They have where, a rotation. Where, <laughs> that's it. Can you name the three teams <laughs> with a rotation? Three teams have a rotation where four out of the five of their starters, what is that, 80%? Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Were, were originally or drafted or signed by that it? team. And then right. one team, has every single starter drafted or signed by that team. So signed. Like it yeah. means no trades is what you're saying. Uh they they originally they might not okay. they might have gone somewhere else. I'm saying but like the they drafted initially with them. Yeah, they came up through saying. their system. Okay. Guardians. That's one. That's that's yeah. they have 4 out of 5. That's a 4 they out of 5. 4 out of 5. Who's the yeah. nine? Um, who what was there? Uh, Cal Quantrill came from San Diego. Oh, no, I knew that. Okay. Um, the Rays. No. Yeah, no, they traded for some of that. They must have. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, uh, I guess, I guess the Pirates must. They don't do anything. 
No, pirates are all makeshift right now. <laughs> Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Wait, well, Ronzi Contreras came from the Yankees, and I could do this. Um, I Dodgers. Yep. There you go. Four out of five. Everyone but Noah Syndergaard. Yeah. Right. Whew, that, I was like, one of these three has to be because you were just talking about it. Um, it's not the so White you, Sox. No, you still um, have the four out of five and the five out of five remaining. Oh, gosh. Oh, man, guys, this is so boring. I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm like, no, because people. Gonna, I bet you people are also doing this at home. I too. know. I'm, I'm just going to have to take a second to like really scan. Okay, Astros. Astros are the five out of five. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Astros are the five out of five. And then the four out of five. I can give hints. I mean, too. I mean, I mean, the Rockies. No, not the Rockies. You're in the oh, right. Really? Uh, uh, the Diamondbacks would be it. Nope. No, because of Bumgarner and Kelly, I guess it wasn't drafted yet. Uh, I'm in the right league. Okay. I uh, Charlie Morton and that's it. Right. So Atlanta. You are correct, but not because of Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton Charlie was, was originally drafted by Atlanta, <laughs> but Max Freed was originally drafted by the Padres. Oh, okay, cool. Well, there you go. Ta-da. That's a fun one. That's a fun That's one. That's a good one. Yeah, man. But the, I'll the, you guys the, the opposite. The Padres have none, right? The Padres at the moment, let's take a look if they have it's like any homegrown no. talent. But like it's uh, there is, no. not, there is no. not a single yeah, right. man, of, of, of all 12 or 13 pitchers. There's only Two, two relievers, Robert right Suarez and Stephen Wilson, who are the only two. No, no, no. Stephen Wilson um, was drafted by Porcupine Tree. <laughs> that is that is a wonderful frog rock reference, and you're okay. welcome. <laughs> you know um, Stephen that's Wilson is. Uh, you've made me listen to Porcupine Tree, so yes, I know yeah. who Stephen Wilson is. I'm not, and and then you listen to them without me making you listen to them. That's I true. Hope. That's true. You suggested them. I should say that's a better way Thank to say you. it. But uh, and that is a good trivia question. You ended up getting the answer to that trivia question. But Nick, that's going to do oh, it for oh. what what might is it might be the last on the corner of the year on that positive. Uh, with the, you and me. Yes. Yeah. The yes. last one we are going to to put out and then we got the new year and then we it's got the new year time in 2023 for pitcher list in many, many ways. I cannot thank you all so much for listening through the offseason. Um, and, and across, I mean, it's, uh, it's going to be our ninth year, 10th full season or 10th season at Pitcher List, which is insane. Uh, we started in 2014. We're still doing this and this is amazing. And it's all thanks to everybody listening. So thank you all so much. I can't wait. I'll give you one tease. I can't wait to show you what PL Pro is. And, uh, we have more to talk about that, uh, in 2023, but it's a lot of things that you guys, I think have been asking for. Um, and so thank you all so much for your support. And uh, we hope that we can, yeah, enjoy 2023 together. We will. We will. Happy holidays to you all. Thank you so much for listening. That is going to do it for episode number 364 of On the Corner, the official PitcherList.com podcast. I'm your host, Alex Fast. And I'm Nick Pollock. And we'll talk to you guys next year. 